full of amazing stories, and the purpose of this podcast is to collect those stories from the people that lived them. Where We Landed is a podcast that recognizes our whole history told by the individuals that live and love this small Indiana county. Where We Landed is supported today by Moving Real Estate, a full-service real estate firm serving Grant County. With a combined total of over 90 years of experience, our agents strive to handle each client with professionalism while navigating the ever-changing real estate market. Our focus is to provide exceptional service and build long-term relationships with our clients as they embark upon their dream home journey. There's no better feeling for us than helping people reach their home ownership goals. If you're ready to make a move, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram, visit our website at movingrealestate.net, or give us a call at 765-674-MOVE. Welcome back to Where We Landed, a podcast about our great, wonderful little community right here in Grant County. I am one of your hosts today, Alicia Hazelwood, and I am joined today by Scott Miller. Good afternoon. And Kylie Jackson. Hey, everybody. All right, we are going to get to know each other a little better with a couple questions here. Um, first one. Uh-oh. Um, I think this applies for this group. Uh, what makes you laugh no matter the mood you're in? What makes me laugh no matter the mood I'm in? Mm-hmm. For me, it's like cat videos. Oh, baby giggles. Uh-huh. Good one. Or, or dog zoomies. <laughs> Good one. You got one? Laugh when my no girls try to play practical jokes on me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. So they don't get away with it? Uh, sometimes they do, but it nonetheless is quite entertaining. <laughs> I, I was going to say Friends episodes. I like Friends. <laughs> they, they usually make me. Uh, okay. Uh, let's see. Some of these don't make sense for, for us here, but how do you prefer to approach conflicts? Head on. <laughs> good answer. Yeah, that is a good answer. That's how I would prefer to do it. How I usually do it is the opposite. <laughs> and it causes me a lot of pain down the road. But, <laughs> but you prefer to just have it. <laughs> right. I think that was the question. Yes. yes. I would didn't say how you, <laughs> how do you want to? Yeah. Good point. Yeah. Uh, do you have an answer for Direct, that? Direct. Head yeah, on. Go, go straight to the problem. Yep. I agree. Um, you know, okay. that's, we all say that, but when you try to actually do that, sometimes it's not very, I mean, sometimes you gotta, you have to dance a little bit <laughs> a little sometimes bit. <laughs> depending on the context, but, uh, okay. Last one. What food do you absolutely despise? Oh, broccoli. He was very quick with he that was answer. Very Pretty much any vegetable, answer. but <laughs> well, I'll start with broccoli. <laughs> I'll start with broccoli. Oh, despise. Do you know right off the I neck? just returned from South Korea, kimchi. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> With authority. <Yeah. laughs> no. I don't, I know there's foods that I don't like, mm-hmm. but like would despise, like don't even put it on my plate type of food. I don't know. Yeah, I think I'm kind of in the same boat as as Dr. Lindsay. I'm not a big fan of like sauerkraut and like fermented things. I want to be because I read like all of the health benefits of things like that, but I can't get on board. I love sauerkraut. Now, <laughs> slimy. Okay, <laughs> cooked spinach. Oh, that is pretty it's slimy and yeah. When you describe it like that, definitely don't want yeah. it. No, no cooked spinach. I like. Okay. Fresh spinach. All right. Well, great question. (laughs) On that note. So we're going to now go into our introduction of Dr. Lindsay. So Michael Lindsay's with us today. So special episode, 100th episode of Where We Landed. And so I, there it is. Big cheer. So Dr. Lindsay serves as the president of Taylor University, one of our nation's leading Christian universities. And it is right here in Grant County. Dr. Lindsay assumed his role after a decade of service at Gordon College on Boston's North Shore. The tenure at Gordon coincided with record years of fundraising, campus diversity, sponsored research, athletic success, and faith expression on campus. Since assuming the Taylor presidency, the university has experienced significant momentum and advancement in missions and campus achievement for a new strategic plan and we're super excited to have you here today, Michael. So thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on. Glad to be here. Yeah, so where we landed talks a little bit about 
uh, everybody, every guest's opportunity to share how did you get to Grant County? And I am really curious because I don't think I've heard this story, but how did you get to Grant County? It's an extraordinary uh, story. So I had uh, been serving as president of Gordon College for a decade. And uh, through a variety of circumstances, my wife and I really felt like it was time for us to do something different. Um, but when you're the president of a university, it's kind of like being a quarterback of an NFL team. And if you decide to leave a team, there's like 31 other slots you could possibly go to. But the likelihood of them needing that quarterback that season is not very great. So I thought I was giving up um, a lifelong joy of serving as a university president. I knew of Taylor, the presidents uh, of our institutions had worked together on a number of different consortia. But the idea of moving to the Midwest was really not in our, our expectations. My wife is from Texas. I'm originally from Mississippi. So I think we both thought we probably would head south. The search committee reached out to me about the Taylor presidency, and I was deeply honored. But in some ways, it was a lateral move because Gordon and Taylor are about the same size, similar kind of institutions. So normally, people think about doing different kinds of things, not sort of a straight move over. But we came here and visited the campus and were impressed with what we had seen. It's a long process. You interview with lots of different folks. And so I was in the mix with a number of other folks. But apparently, uh, the search committee reached a conclusion that they thought I was the right person. But I didn't necessarily think I was the right person. <laughs> so um, I told them I wasn't certain about this. And they were looking for somebody who had a lot of certainty. And I just said, you know, I'm not sure. At the time, I had three opportunities, Taylor being one of them. I had a Zoom conversation with one of their trustees, a woman named Heather Larson, who had gone to Taylor in the 90s. And... Uh, I thought it would be a 30-minute courtesy call, but it turned into a two-hour-long conversation. I was just captivated with how she talked about Taylor, what a difference it had made in her life, and her own journey of leadership. That was on a Saturday. I went to church on Sunday, went to work on Monday, came home, had dinner with my family, put the kids in bed, got into bed myself. And I, I'd been in bed for a little while, and I started thinking about that conversation from Saturday, and my mind was racing, and I could not go to sleep. I tossed and turned for like two hours. I finally got up, I uh, read my Bible, prayed, then thought, I'll get back into bed. I sat in bed for another 90 minutes, two hours. I finally got up, I had a bowl of cereal, took a Tylenol PM, tried to go back to sleep. <laughs> like, I am going to sleep tonight. Exactly. <laughs> Tossed and turned for another hour or two. Got up, checked my email, prayed some more, got back into bed. <laughs> Dear God, let me sleep. Indeed, yeah. <laughs> And finally, at 4.45, I just got up and went to go work in my home office. A little while later, my wife came in and she said, honey, you know, what's going on? And she said, what, what are you thinking about? And I said, it's that stupid tailor. I can't get them out of my mind. <laughs> and she said, did you sleep at all? And I said, I didn't sleep a wink. She said, I don't think you've ever had a sleepless night in our married life. I said, Rebecca, I, I've never had a sleepless night in my life. Later that day, I wrote an email to Heather Larson, and the subject of my email was sleepless night. And I said, Heather, I couldn't get our conversation out of my mind last night, and I wonder if we could have a follow-up. She said, oh, I have a funny story about your sleepless night. We get on Zoom another day or so. She said, that Monday evening, the search committee met with the full board of trustees. She said, there's like 40 people on Zoom. And we told them that we thought you were the right person to be Taylor's next president, but you weren't so sure about it. We asked them what they wanted us to do, and we decided that we would uh, meditate on it, pray about it for another couple of weeks. But before they hung up, we decided that we would all pray. And there was a woman who on that call apparently prayed something to the effect of, dear God, if you're calling Michael Lindsay to Taylor, we need you to get his attention and do it tonight. <laughs> we ask you, don't let him get a night of sleep. Instead, wrestle with him like you wrestled with Jacob by the Jabbok all night, <laughs> oh Lord. When she told me that story, I couldn't believe it. I had never had a sleepless night. Then this woman prays. I've decided she's going to pray for everything I need <laughs> right. for the rest of my life. <laughs> she was pretty amazing. But that was a you pretty dramatic prayer sign. Warrior. Exactly. That was a pretty dramatic sign for me. And I think that was really the beginning of our confirmation that we should move to Grant County. And here we are. <laughs> so I kind of have a 
pseudo random question. You said that you were feeling like you, you and your wife wanted to do something different and you didn't know you were going to make this president to president move. What was the different that was kind of on your mind? Like, well, maybe we might do this or we might go there. What was that like? I was thinking about uh, one of the opportunities I was, uh, I had been approached with uh, involved largely doing consulting work in higher education. So after you've been a successful president, oftentimes other institutions are interested in what made things work. And mm-hmm. so we have been very fortunate at Gordon, both on fundraising and a number of other initiatives. So that was probably something that would be different. I also have been approached about doing executive search, headhunting kinds of things. Okay. Both of those would be different than the kind of opportunities. Sure. And I was also looking at presidencies as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I never really thought about um, when you're the president of a university looking for another job, you can't really like post your post on LinkedIn or something. Right? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little bit different. Yeah. yeah. So let's um, let's rewind. Let's take us back to Mississippi and tell us kind of how you got from Mississippi to Gordon. Uh, so I grew up in Jackson, Mississippi, uh, ended up uh, going to Baylor in Texas for my undergraduate. I met my wife there. We were both English majors. <laughs> After graduating, she worked uh, as a teacher and I was a um, software end user trainer. So I would teach people the basics of Excel or Word or PowerPoint. Okay. And uh, and then I moved to Princeton, New Jersey, and I did a Master of Divinity at Princeton Seminary. And I worked for George Gallup of the Gallup Poll, okay. largely working with faith-based clients. So um, helping to do survey research on a variety of different issues. Mm-hmm. And then I had a fellowship to go and study at Oxford. So I pursued a degree over there, which was great. Mm -hmm. Moved back to Princeton and did my PhD in sociology, continue working for Gallup. Then I joined the faculty of Rice University in Houston, where I was for five years. I ran a small center there and then had the presidency at Gordon for 10 years and uh, then moved to Grant County a little bit over two years ago. (laughs) I recognize every single school you mentioned except Gordon. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Don't tell them that. Don't tell them that. Yeah. I was like, dang. Like, that's, well, that, yeah, that's uh, quite really an interesting impressive. winding yeah. path, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, you know, I, you don't really think about what a president of university studies for it their does. undergrad, right? Yeah. Either, right? That's not something to major in. But yep. um, what do you think prepared you? Or at what point in that journey did being president of a university start popping up as a possibility? While I was a faculty member at Rice, I did um, a number of things for the university, uh, helped with some fundraising, did some student recruitment, engaged on uh, leadership issues across campus. So that really became the moment where I began to see that I might have an opportunity in university administration. Okay. And so you mentioned your wife a couple of times. What does she do and how did she play into you moved quite a bit in these different areas. How did that work out for her and what has she done? Rebecca is a wonderful woman. She has a depth of experience as a classroom teacher. She's taught every grade from first grade to 12th grade. Uh, She's taught in uh, New Jersey when we lived in Princeton. She taught in Oxford when we were in England. She taught in Houston when we lived there. When I assumed the presidency at Gordon and now here at Taylor, Oftentimes, the spouse of the president is expected to do a certain amount of work for the university. So at both Gordon and at Taylor, she had a, a part-time role. Okay. Her, her title is uh, ambassador for the university. She helps with um, advancement and fundraising. A lot of events, we host about, um, I don't know, two or three events a week at our house. And so she's involved with that. Yeah. She also does a lot of employee relations work. So uh, the first family oftentimes goes to visit employees if they have a death in their family or a birth or if there's a wedding or somebody's in the hospital. So she helps with some of those kinds of activities and then does a variety of things to represent uh, the university on my behalf as well. How have uh, each of you in those spaces, you were at Gordon for 10 years, get connected because you're not originally from that space. So what are the things that you really stepped into or that she stepped into to get connected in the communities? I think uh, kids have a great way of helping you get connected with <laughs> folks. So uh, we have three girls that are in local public school. And so getting to know the teachers, the administrators, and other parents has a way of uh, deepening those ties. And then we've just been intentional about trying to make connections in Grant County while we've been here. Tell us a little bit more, um, girls, what ages, what are they interested in? 
Um, yeah. So my oldest daughter, Elizabeth, has special needs. So she's in the life skills class at Eastbrook mm-hmm. uh, and uh, is loving that. She'll basically be there till she's 22 and then she'll age out of that program and probably go to an adult program. Mm-hmm. Then we have twins, Caroline and Emily, who are 13. They're in yeah. eighth grade, yeah. though they like to think of themselves more like college freshmen. <laughs> right. uh, we live on the Taylor campus and they love being uh, actively involved in college <laughs> life. Uh, Caroline is uh, into dance and uh, takes dance down in Muncie and is involved with a studio there. And that's a real passion of hers. Mm-hmm. She also was just elected to student council, which is fun oh. and exciting. <laughs> yep. Emily is our singer uh, and she's in a state choir that's down in Anderson and enjoys uh, singing. She's also our scholar. She's incredibly well-read, very bright and gifted and helps out in a variety of things in her classes. Oh, that's great. Um, so, Scott had to step away, but before he left, he sent me uh, his questions. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so I'll be playing the part of Scott for right. for a portion of the rest of our Does day. Does that mean I get to pick on you like I pick on Scott? <laughs> no, no, that's only reserved for <laughs> the real Scott. Um, so Scott's first question, what's something on your bucket list that you haven't accomplished yet? I really oh. want to see Antarctica. I've never gone okay. and I would love to be able to do that. It's expensive and you can only really go in January and February, uh, yeah. which is the summer for Antarctica, but I'd love to be able to do that. That would be a lot of fun. I've been able to travel to the other six continents. That's great. And that's so, it's wild that this came up because I was just having dinner with a friend over the weekend and he is going to Antarctica in December. Mm. There's, it's some sort of research, like, so the boat will have research folks, but then they sold a certain number of kind of like tourist tickets mm. to basically fund the research. Oh, that sounds and great. so he'll be there for two weeks, I think. Wow. Yeah. I was so. going to say, you fly into Antarctica? He's flying to Argentina. Boating? Yeah, typically you you fly to the very tip of Argentina and then you go across the, the strait, which yeah. is actually the most perilous waters on the earth uh so it's it's very i feel like we need like the dun 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 dun. exactly it it is it is rough water i understand for about a day and a half i think it's called the drake passage and then eventually you get to antarctica and it's fine and you hang out with penguins i mean fine as in there's right. snow and it's cold. There's and snow and it's cold, and there's not a lot of development there. Not but a lot nonetheless, to do, but yeah, just to walk around. You and look, probably won't run snow. to Chipotle while you're there. <laughs> and some of the in- one interesting thing he was talking about was that um, there's a treaty of some kind. So there's countries that are there doing research, but there's a treaty that none of them will claim. That's right. Antarctica as their own. That's right. And I never really considered that. Yeah, so. Antarctica oh. is uh, not recognized as owned by any country, but there's joint involvements in multiple countries. Interesting. Wow. I had no idea. Yeah. Do you have anything on your bucket list you still want to oh, check Oh, I have it? lots of stuff on my bucket list. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I can't think of any like really yeah. cool things off the top of my head. Like, Yeah. Mine's probably travel related too. I yeah. Mean, mine's getting all certain, travel. Yeah. Antarctica was never on the list, but maybe maybe it, it is out. now. Yeah. Bucket, a bucket list for me is my grandfather was stationed in Sitka, Alaska. And he was also stationed in Guam and my dad grew up on Guam. So those are two places I want to go because they talked about it a lot growing up. So, yeah, but I like it. Those boys will be gone in a couple of years. You'll have an yes, empty nest and you can start traveling. <laughs> okay. <laughs> not uh, that you're counting down. I was going to say, not that we're counting. I have a senior and a freshman. So, <laughs> <laughs> okay. This one, um, after just talking about kind of what is in, compassed in your day-to-day um i don't know if you ever have a day off but if you do how do you like to spend it we love going to the beach um so the ocean's always really fun and our family typically enjoys beach vacations so if i have a if i have time to go to the beach that would be like my favorite thing to do otherwise i love to sleep (laughs) i don't get a ton of it catch catch up when you can right right. (laughs) i'm laughing because he's like he goes to the beach if he has time to go to the beach, but his bucket list is Antarctica. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I'm a man of wide taste. Variety but of options. Ian, you say there's no beach around here, but you can just go right up to Michigan Indeed. when it's nice. Yeah. Have, That's you, right. have, have you made it we to have, Michigan? Yeah, we've done Indiana it. Dunes we, and- yeah, we, we, we love uh, Michigan. You know, that pure Michigan summers is, is a real thing, and it we've really is. enjoyed doing it that. Really so this past summer... I think we went up to Michigan four times. So nice. it's been a nice time. Yeah. What area? Uh, we went to Mackinac, which is probably okay. the furthest yep. north. Um, 
and then various spots along like Grand Haven and North. Okay. Uh, I was going to say we love South Haven, Yeah, but I love Indiana Dunes too. So that's what I like about living here. You can, people are like, you live in Indiana, you can't get to a beach. Yes, I can. (laughs) It's not not too bad at all. It's just not salt water. Right. Which is even better in my opinion. I have opinion. to say, that's right. The salt water is not all it's cracked up. It's beautiful. I like the smell. Lake Michigan is beautiful. It's, it's so clear. clear. Uh, mm. So that part is really nice. Yeah. yeah. Any other hidden gems you've discovered? Kind of you, I'm sure that you had preconceived ideas about what living in the Midwest would be like. Have the, Has it met your expectations or what surprised you? You know, one of the things that surprises me is that um, people in Indiana take their donuts very seriously. <laughs> and I moved here and we must have received, I don't know, six dozen donuts from people who would all say, this is from the very best place to get donuts in the world. And they were all different places. So that was something we didn't expect, but we became donut connoisseurs, which is really fun. And, and coming uh, from Boston, which is like yeah, Duncan. Yeah, Duncan's pretty big there, yeah. but um, the equivalent thing in Boston is ice cream. Cause actually okay. Massachusetts is where ice cream started. Uh-huh. So they're as serious about their ice cream as Hoosiers are about their donuts. Okay. But that's been one of the things that we've really come to <laughs> deeply appreciate. Nice. That's his new title is Donut Connoisseur. <laughs> yeah. um, Add that so, to the resume. Right? The resume. Yeah. I was going to say, I grew up in North Carolina. And so we used to go to Krispy Kreme and mm. watch them like run them through the machines and stuff. Krispy like Kreme that. is hard to beat. And especially when hot it's like, fresh yeah. and yeah. hot and stuff. So when you say people take their donuts seriously, I was like, Mm. North Carolina takes its donuts pretty seriously too. <laughs> That's right. Well, I was trying to remember. So I lived in New Hampshire for a, a short bit after college, mm. and they are serious about ice cream yeah. in New England. What do they call sprinkles? Jimmy's. That's right, Jimmy's. They Jimmy's. do. Yeah, you would have to prompt me, but that's exactly yeah, what they call them. Because I, you know, one day they were like taking our ice cream orders and like, do you want Jimmy's on that? I'm like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> Can you please elaborate? Yeah, translate for me. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Life's always better with sprinkles. I agree. Um, you should always eat ice cream first. <laughs> I certainly that believe too? that. <laughs> yeah. Dessert first. <laughs> we were in an event this weekend and uh, it was a seated dinner and of course when you sat down they had the salad and the dessert already on the table and everyone at our table was eating dessert first. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Those are my kind of people. Uh, I have another Scott question. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> uh, what should we know about Taylor that we don't already? Taylor is one of the most diverse places in Indiana. So we welcome students from about 35 countries around the world. And I think a lot of people don't realize how global the university is. I just returned from uh, a trip in South Korea. We have about 45 to 50 Korean students studying at the university. And um, so I love that about Taylor, that we welcome students from all over the world. They come because they're interested in a particular area of study. Film and media, for example, is a very popular major for us. It's an area of real strength, draws students from all over. But athletics is a real key element. Um, about a quarter of our students are varsity athletes at the university. Mm. So I think people would be surprised um, to be in the cornfields. Taylor really does draw students from all over the globe. I love the fact that there was a student last year that we were recruiting and she literally was down to Harvard and Taylor and she Mm. chose Taylor. (laughs) And I love that. Her name is Hannah Wiley. She wanted to come and study theater and she thought that the intentional community that we have at at Taylor would be a better match for what she was looking for. Wow. That's That's a great story. Um, So when you go to somewhere like South Korea that you just came back from, what does that look like for you? Are you recruiting or what's the... In Korea, uh, Korea is the land of humongous churches. So I preached in four churches and over the course of those four services, I spoke to 100,000 people. That is really big. Uh, So that was quite extraordinary. I met with a group of parents and alumni who are in Korea who wanted to hear what's happening at the university. I also spoke at uh, a couple of schools. So we're interested in recruiting students to come and join Mm -hmm. us. And then we have a partnership with a university that's about it's probably three hours by bullet train south of Seoul in Handong, uh, Global University is the name of it. And um, so I went to go meet their president, tour their campus. I saw two of our students who were studying there this semester, and they're interested in deepening ties with us. So those kinds of global partnership and connections is a, is a key part of it. On this particular trip, I had never been to the DMZ, and I was mm. interested in seeing it. So I had a chance to go up and do that as well. That's 
that was that's definitely a bucket list for me. Yeah. So um very cool. And I didn't know any of that about about Taylor's global reach, yeah. but um I want to bring it back kind of hyper local. We've gotten to know each other a little bit better this summer with um, a task force you put together for yes. a big grant opportunity. Yep. Tell us a little bit about that, um, your desire for the Taylor Upland, Taylor Grant County connection. So uh, we really believe there's a sense of calling for an institution like Taylor to be a blessing to the area where it it exists. So we care deeply about our friends and our neighbors and our community. And the university has done a number of things over many decades. But I'd say in the last 10 years, we've become increasingly interested in caring for uh, health outcomes in Grant County. So we have a program called the Invitation Program, which does basically uh, health counseling for uh, children and adults. That's uh, diabetes prevention and uh, fitness uh, support kind of network. We do those kinds of things uh, all the time, but we've become more intentional about saying, how could we as a university help spur economic and community development in Upland and Grant County? Because we've seen that to be a very successful model. We've looked at programs like what Notre Dame has done in South Bend or what Purdue has done in West Lafayette. We'd like to similarly bring that to Grant County. And we've got great partners and other institutions. So Indiana Wesleyan is in Marion and we love IWU, although we're uh, strong rivals, but we love the institution and, and we share a commitment to trying to want to see what, what we can do to be a blessing. One of the unique attributes of Taylor is that we have alumni who are deeply loyal to this institution. So for example, our annual alumni giving rate is double that of the national average. So our alumni are much more committed. So we've begun saying to our alumni, hey, if you'd like to relocate your business or your nonprofit, we'd love for you to consider Grant County. There's lots of incentives for you to be able to consider. We're interested in trying to spur development in the area. So last year, we had a year-long uh, master planning process. And in the course of that, we realized the university owns about a thousand acres in Grant County. What could we do to leverage those land resources to spur more development in the right kind of way and in a way that would be a blessing to Upland. And that's led to a series of conversations. And so I was really glad to have you, Kylie, serve on that task force, which was about a dozen people helping us to think about how could Taylor leverage its resources and its reputation to be a, a greater force for good in Upland and Grant County. That also dovetails with uh, the governor's agenda around the Ready 2.0 grant initiative, which has just recently been announced. And uh, the Lilly Endowment was launching what was called the College and Community Collaboration Grant Initiative, a $300 million initiative, which is, you know, you put that on top of the $500 million for Ready, that's $800 million available for the state for economic development. And we're seeing that higher education institutions are hubs for that kind of economic development. So we're trying to leverage that in more significant ways. I'm hoping that through this, we might be able to get additional housing stock available. We'd love to be able to have incubator space, um, micro retail opportunities, a couple of new restaurants that would draw people. We think a collegiate inn close to the campus could also be great. I mean, we bring in thousands of visitors every year to Grant County. We'd like them to be able to stay close to campus, uh, invest those dollars in local businesses and be a, a you know a engine for economic development in the days ahead. So we're hopeful, um, and I was glad to have you on that task force. Where We Landed is supported today by Moving Real Estate, a full-service real estate firm serving Grant County. With a combined total of over 90 years of experience, our agents strive to handle each client with professionalism while navigating the ever-changing real estate market. Our focus is to provide exceptional service and build long-term relationships with our clients as they embark upon their dream home journey. There is no better feeling for us than helping people reach their home ownership goals. If you're ready to make a move, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram. Visit our website at movingrealestate.net or give us a call at 765-674-MOVE. Yeah, I really, I appreciated the opportunity. I appreciated the way, I mean, um, I think for those folks listening, they can, they can hear the passion in your voice and, um, just the way that you organized that operation. And, um, yeah, it was a, a really wonderful experience and hopeful for, for Thank what you. it means for the future of Taylor. Uh, let's throw in another Scott question. Great. Let's, I'm gonna scroll down here a little bit. 
Um, oh, he, that means she's skipping some of his like, what's your biggest <laughs> failure you've ever experienced well, or something? I, I think he threw you some softballs. I'm okay. not going to, I'm going to be honest here because oh, I don't God. think he's ever asked anyone, what's your favorite time of year and why? That is not a Scott question. <laughs> no. My favorite time of year. Um, I love the start of the school year. So I would probably say late August, early September. Right now, it's like my favorite because everybody's energetic. There's lots of good things that are happening and there's a positive buzz across campus. So I love that. Yeah. Fresh school supplies. Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> the weather sharpened changing. all of our pencils. <laughs> exactly. We're ready to go. Exactly. Uh, that is totally not a Scott question. No, it's not. Um, That's he, more of an Iris question. He loves a deep dive. Um, what's an essential part of your daily routine? Well, I would say uh, I usually uh, start my day and um, I enjoy having some kind of uh, regular exercise. So that's a key part of what I do, either some um, lifting weights or some cardio. Um, a part of my day involves reading the Bible and praying. I, um, I like to be able to spend time with my wife and my kids. Um, we try to find uh, time every day where the kids can share, well, all of us share, what's a high point from your day, what's a low point from your day, and what's sort of a random thing from your day called high-low buffalo. And uh, <laughs> like we it. typically do that. We don't get that in every single day, but that's uh, a regular part of what we do. You know, I travel 40 to 50% of the time, so I'm gone a lot. Mm -hmm. But when I'm home, we really try to make it uh, full and good. And we use the time also to do a lot of activities at the university. Yeah. I, I don't I don't understand the gymnastics of making it all fit, but yeah. <laughs> um, okay, another Scott question. Oh. Let's find a a real Scott question. <laughs> Let's see here. <laughs> um, I'm busting his chops for that one. Okay. Well, you've answered a few of these. <clears throat> okay, this one's a little broader than Taylor, but what's something an outsider wouldn't know about higher education mm. that they should know? You know, I think a lot of people assume when they see the price of a college education, they assume that that's actually the price you pay, when in fact, that's what we call the sticker price. But there is a net price that you get because of scholarships. And most institutions, it probably reduces that sticker price by anywhere from 25 to 60% of what it is. The way that pricing is done in higher education today is very similar to how they price airplane seats. And the likelihood that you're paid the exact same price that the person seated next to you is not very great because there's lots of factors that go into it. And so just as on an airplane, it can depend on when did you buy the ticket, uh, how far in advance were you very particular about being on that particular flight or were you flexible? Did you have to fly that time of day or not? All of those things make factors. Similarly, in higher education, there's lots of factors that influence the pricing. Fundamentally, what do you bring to the table that uh, might help you reduce your costs, typically in the form of merit scholarships, either academic merit or leadership or sports or artistic talent, but then also your own family background? Because most of us try to put a higher education within the hands of everyone, which means that different people have different expected family incomes. And so that affects what their family is able to contribute. And I, I think most people don't realize that's a real part of the overall pricing framework of higher education. So I oftentimes tell people, you really can't pay attention to the sticker price. It's the net price that you want to think about. And because of that, it's really important if you have a son or a daughter that's thinking about going to college, it's important for you to express, if you're interested in a particular school, you need to tell that school, hey, if we can make this work financially, I will be here. Because all of them are trying to make bets on who they're actually going to enroll. They'd much rather give a larger scholarship to somebody who they have a greater chance of enrolling than offering something that they don't know if it's going to be returned. All of us are interested in actually the yield of accepted students. And so that becomes part of the whole framework of enrolling students and getting them to decide where they're going to go. Hmm. Interesting. It's like buying a car. You're more likely to sell a Ford to someone who drives a Ford exactly. onto a Ford lot than That's someone right. who drives a Honda onto a Ford lot. All those kind of consumer yeah, kind of behaviors influence the way you think about higher education. Interesting. 
I haven't thought about college pricing in a long time. I don't know. I'm all in on college pricing right now. (laughs) My son's narrowed down to two schools. Oh, that's very smart. Well, and if, and, and if your son can tell the admissions counselor at those two schools, Hey, it's down to this and one other place that increases the odds for them to get a more competitive scholarship. Now Mm. I know a secret. And if you can make a commitment by Christmas time, your likelihood, your likelihood of getting the right scholarship is much higher. Students who wait until April oftentimes lose out because all the scholarship money has already been awarded. Typically, we award the scholarship dollars in December and January. There we go. So but, students who yeah. wait too long end up losing out. I feel like we're getting all the insider I tips. I know. Yum. This is going to be very helpful to my pocketbook. <laughs> yeah, hopefully I appreciate so. appreciate it. <laughs> so I have a kind of... St- it plays into some of this, but random question. Kylie had mentioned that you probably had some preconceived notions. You'd visited the community and stuff like that, had some preconceived notions. Um, what is something other than people bringing you donuts um, and our love of our sweet breakfast items in the U.S.? Um, something else that surprised you about the community or that you thought you would find and didn't find those kinds of things. I'm always fascinated about since I, for the most part, grew up here and boomeranged back that um, I find people's perception from the outside when they come here is very, very different than someone who's grown up here. And so I'm always interested to hear that. I find that people uh, in Upland in particular, they love the community. They're deeply committed to the community. So Labor Day is a big um, weekend mm-hmm. of activities in Upland. And, you know, we have a parade. We have lots of garage sales and just a, a wide variety of different things. And I was surprised at the level of community commitment that I see here. It's not something that's typical. In many ways, it's a throwback to a, a bygone era where people were more connected with their neighbors, their kids played on the street, you know, mm-hmm. um, the safe community in which we live and the sense of a small town, rural community where folks know one another by name, care for them, look out for one another. That's a real thing here. And I did not, uh, coming from Boston, which was a much more urban context, right. I would not have expected that. And I've loved that. I also say the natural beauty of where we are is hard to miss. And that part is has been wonderful. The trails, we have some cross-country trails that our team runs on that I love to take for a walk. It's really beautiful. And one of the things that I'm hoping that some of these um, investment dollars that we're trying to get either through the Lily Endowment or Ready would actually expand trails because I think that that's a real benefit that we have here in Indiana. Mm. What do you miss most about Boston? I miss, uh, I used to be able to run to the ocean every day. <laughs> so my house was literally about two and a half miles from the Atlantic Ocean. And I loved being able to do that. And uh, I do miss it because that was refreshing for me. That was a part of my exercise routine, but also a, it was almost a spiritual journey for me. Yeah. So that part uh, I miss. We miss some friends as well. Sure. But um, we found that we've got a really good community here. I was waiting for him to say like a certain restaurant or something <laughs> like that. Yeah. Normally when we say, what do you love or what do you miss? It's always food. Yeah. <laughs> I did love uh, legal seafood was something that I love. They have great clam chowder and lobster rolls are really great. I miss those things. But um, by and large, we've been able to find great places around here as well. Um, The natural beauty. I'm glad you bring that up. I was just um, talking to a friend the other day who is from Vancouver originally, um, came to Grant County for college and is now um, in Norway for grad school. Um, but is back because she has a little break and she's back for a couple months here in Grant County. And she was just kind of, it's fun to watch it through her eyes because she's like, you should just just leave for a year and you'll come back and you'll just appreciate like being able to see the sunset in the whole sky. I think that the Indiana sunsets are among the most beautiful I've ever seen anywhere in the world. I love it. And I love the fact that we, you know, daylight lasts a lot longer here because we're on the far edge of the time zone. And I love that. Yeah. That was something when I was in New Hampshire, it was like, man, these days, they just, they, they fly by. Early, indeed. <laughs> yes. um, okay. Let me see if we have any more Scott questions. I'm disappointed in his level of, uh, I think you, he, he was going easy on you. We're friends. What can yeah, I say? Yeah. Can we, let, let's think of some, uh, some of his usual uh, so one he has stopped asking because we asked him to stop but i think it actually is a great question it is a great question it's just hard to answer <laughs> so 
what's your, I'm not going to, how he phrased it better recently. Um, basically, what did you learn from your biggest failure? Mm. And that's why we that's stopped better, asking it. Yeah, that's a better phrasing of it. Because it's not so much like. I don't want to know. I don't know what the worst thing that you ever did was or what happened to you. But like, right. how did you turn it into something great? Yeah, what was the learning from it? Or I always think of like the thing, like something I struggle with the word failure. So I always think about when was a time that I was super disappointed, like either disappointed in myself or disappointed in a situation. And what did I learn from that disappointment? That's a great way to frame it. Mm -hmm. I agree. Failure was, is the the hard word in that one. Because I was always raised like you don't fail, you learn. Right. So that's a, that's a great (laughs) mindset. I think probably most of my failures would probably be people related. Mm. So, you know, in my job, oftentimes I'm involved with either recruiting people or hiring people or promoting or firing. Yeah. Not retaining (laughs) people. And, um, I would say that there was a, there was a, this, the situation that comes to my mind is a particular person I recruited to a role that I thought that they'd be wildly successful in. And I did not appropriately think about how they would respond to the culture of the institution. And it mm. wasn't a good match. And I had not given that enough consideration. So one of the things that I learned from that is that I need to have multiple people help me when I'm recruiting people to positions of leadership. And um, I've learned from that. You know, the nice thing about a second presidency is that hopefully you don't make the exact same mistakes <laughs> that you made before. And so I, I've learned of the importance of trying to get that culture fit um, more aligned for both the person coming in as well as for the institution. And that probably is a, a big lesson that I took away now, from that. that- early in it was the presidency early. and then because I think there's some learning the culture yourself That's I recently right. switched jobs and so the previous role I was in I feel like I knew the culture really well but I'd been there 10 years right where now I'm like oh I don't know don't know who. what the right thing is in this yeah. situation yeah we always call it big p little p politics right like I don't know who knows who and right. who's been around and you know, who's the ringleader and who's not, who will talk behind your back and who won't and all of that kind of stuff. So I think that um, there's a lot of, you know, there's much wisdom that comes from the council of many advisors. And I think that there's benefit of getting lots of people's perspective. And I, I don't think early on I got enough perspective. So I've learned that. So go ahead. I was going to say, how do you go about now that you're in a new presidency, mm. knowing who those counselors are? That was the question I was going to yeah. ask. So I think that the key thing is that uh, you begin to develop sort of kitchen cabinets of people who you can draw from. And so that's one useful thing. But generally speaking, what I have learned, and you know, I've been a president now in my 13th year, I've learned that if you bring a candidate in and they are with you for several days, you will learn what they're really like. Mm-hmm. Because people can put on a particular persona for a couple of hours, but they can't sustain it <laughs> for 72 hours. Mm-hmm. So just be around them for a long time. And through that, then they begin to let down their guard and you're able to learn more information. And that mm-hmm. becomes quite illuminating. So it's not so much needing to have certain people who give me advice. It's just getting multiple perspectives. And so one of the things that I I learned is that instead of having a candidate do 30-minute interviews with 20 different people, and it's basically the same interview 20 times, instead, you bring those groups together and you have 10 people in a room, but they do a three-hour interview they learn a lot in those three hours, but because there's 10 people in that interview, they're all picking up on different things. And so then they've heard the same responses, but they have different interpretations. That gives you so much more information. I mean, those are tools that probably lots of other people knew a long time ago, but I've learned more recently and they've served me really yeah, well. That's a great, great idea. Three hour interview sounds absolutely intimidating to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, one thing I'm always trying to pick up on, especially when I'm talking to folks who are in leadership roles, what what do your mentors look like? What Who's someone who's mentored you along the way? And what did you glean from that relationship? So one of the people who really encouraged me to think about higher education uh, currently serves as a chancellor at Dallas Baptist University in Dallas. I worked for him for a season. And um, I learned from him how you navigate the complexity of the role. So in my job, 
I get anywhere from 50 to 200 emails a day. I get lots of phone calls, uh, lots of letters, and I'm in meetings all day long. So if I don't have a system to manage the flow of information, it's overwhelming. I mean, you could easily work 100 hours a week, week in and week out, and do that for years, but you'd be totally burned out. So this particular mentor of mine, his name is Gary Cook. Gary taught me sort of how to build systems in your life mm. so that you can manage the flow of information, how to take advantage of when you have 10 minute breaks in between meetings, what you can do with that 10 minutes so that you don't have to do an extra two hours worth of work at night. And I learned that and that's really sustained me quite well. Mm. So I think mentors oftentimes give us advice at critical hinge moments in our life, which can help us with big decisions. But really the big benefit of mentors is they just help you navigate the daily challenges and opportunities that you come upon. Mm. So you mentioned uh, hinge moments. <laughs> we haven't talked yet, but you are also a published author. So am, tell yeah. us a little bit oh. about your book. So I've written, <laughs> Did you do that intentionally? Uh, well, I, I love dropping that in, but thanks, Kylie, for the I promo. I wrote it down as like a t-shirt quote. <laughs> yeah. But this hinge is something moments. more than yeah, a t-shirt It is. I wrote book. a book a few years ago called Hinge Moments, um, Making the Most of Transitions in Life. And so what I found, I spent 10 years of my life interviewing senior leaders um, about their journeys of leadership and of life. And uh, I determined that those people who succeeded over the long call were folks who had navigated critical juncture points that all of us face. And, you know, if you live to be 70 or 80 years old, you'll have millions of minutes in your life. But we can really boil down to most of our lives to probably key things that occurred in about 30 or 40 minutes over a lifetime. The minute you're born, the minute you meet your spouse, the minute your first kid is born. I mean, those are key moments that you'll remember. But also, the moment that you first have your biggest professional failure and how you respond to that. The key thing is that you have to be prepared for those moments because they come upon you sometime by your own choosing, but oftentimes they come upon you when you weren't expecting them. So how do you navigate those hinge moments of life? Mm -hmm. So this particular book, uh, which I loved working on, talks about the seven sort of st steps or stages of transition that we go through. Three of them occur before you even know that you're in the midst of a change. Mm. But then how do you navigate those things? Because change happens instantaneously. Transition happens over many weeks, months, or sometimes even years of our lives. Hmm. Well, fascinating. Yeah. We'll put Learn the, you can buy day. it at Amazon yeah. or a bookseller <laughs> near you. We'll put the link in our show notes. Yes, in the show notes. <laughs> so that's an ongoing joke because we don't actually know how to operate the show notes okay. of our, so there of are our no podcast. Show notes. Okay, well. but, because we're not professionals. But most of our listeners know how to use Google and Amazon so they can yes. find it there. Hinge Moments by D. Michael Lindsay. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, one other question I have kind of on the heels of that discussion about mentors Um I want to flip it the other way. How do you choose, you know, I'm sure you get approached constantly by folks looking for mentorship. Um, do you have kind of criteria when you're, when you're deciding to mentor someone? Um, yeah. Tell I us have, about that. I have lots of students that approach me mm -hmm. as well as um, younger professionals in the field who are interested in maybe someday assuming a presidency or something like that. My general rule of thumb is that I try to be in relationship with anybody who's interested, but a mentoring relationship develops really over years of relationships. So it's not the kind of thing where someone says, would you mentor me? And I check a box and say, yes, it's, it's, let's get to know each other and we find ways to connect. Yeah. So oftentimes it happens over a cup of coffee or a meal. Oftentimes uh, I'll work out with students. I find that, you know, when they're half my age, they push me a lot harder, <laughs> but it's a really great way to develop a relationship. Yeah. And so lots of mentoring relationships occurred by meeting somebody at the gym or going on a run, something like that. Those can be moments where you develop the relationship. And then over time, there've been a handful of students that have stayed in touch and I'm really privileged to be able to work with amazing students and help them in their own journeys. I can just imagine it's hard to not be authentic, like when you're trying to push up the weight. Indeed, you, know, and yeah. you can't. You can't really wear that. I'm talking to the president of the university as you're like my lifting favorite, weights. My favorite moments are so I was bench pressing and 
Um, there was, you know, some students that were nearby and I pushed myself to the point of failure, which is what you should do when you're trying to grow right. a muscle. But of course that means that the bench falls down on your chest and Correct. you're kind of stuck. I bet I had eight students <laughs> here. Immediately they were on top oh of me. Oh my God, are you okay? And, but the funny thing is that none of them were lifting the bar off of me. They're all just looking down at me. Are you okay? Are you okay? I'm like, could you help me yeah. here? Okay, so finally they lifted it off and I'm sure that they posted it on their social media accounts. But I was just going to say, hopefully they weren't like holding their camera it was a lot of fun. Yeah. 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 I'll be Good okay bonding. when you lift this bar. Right. Indeed, yeah. yes. Note to self, who do you have as your now spotter when you're lifting weights? I, I have learned it's important if you're going to push yourself to failure, it's good to have somebody nearby. <laughs> so uh, our time today has flown by. We do finish with one final question every episode. What are you, and I can't wait for this answer. I what know. are you watching, reading, and listening to? Oh, great question. Well, um, on Netflix, I'm watching uh, Suits, which is a Everyone great drama, which I had never seen. It was on USA, yeah. apparently, yeah. years ago, but I'd never watched it. So I'm really enjoying that. Yeah. That's been a lot of fun. My wife and I enjoy comedy, so we watch Kim's Convenience, <laughs> which is fun, uh, which has been really great. I love all of the Jack Ryan kind of spy shows. Mm. So Fauda, Tehran, I love all that kind of stuff. Okay. We love Ted Lasso. So those are the kind of things that um, I'm reading, or that I'm watching. Uh, reading is that I do a lot of reading for my work. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm currently reading a book that I've been asked to write a blurb on the back of. I'm doing mm -hmm. that uh, fairly regularly. So someone has written a book about his vision for classical education. Classical mm -hmm. schools are popping up all over the country, fastest growing form of education in the, in the U S and um, so somebody uh, is down in Indianapolis has written a book and he asked if I would write a blurb for it. So I'm currently working through that. I, uh, I also really love listening to um, a variety of uh, speakers. And so uh, oftentimes I'm sort of engaging people that we're thinking about bringing to campus or areas that we're trying to engage in. But uh, I binge watch on Netflix to have a lot of fun. That's, that typically we call it mindless entertainment at yeah. my household. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. You work it's a really good hard during the day. Off. That's and, right. Yeah. Well, Dr. Lindsay, it's been a pleasure having you today. Thanks for having me. Thanks on. for joining us. And if you're listening, um, make sure you like and follow this episode. And we will see you next week. See ya. Today's podcast was engineered by Kyra Montero of Frequency Canvas.